So I recently decided that I wanted to get stronger. I wanted to put on some muscle, you know, get fit, get in shape. So here's what I did. I decided to hire a personal trainer. So I went and I visited with my personal trainer for about an hour a week for several weeks. I would go and I would watch my personal trainer as they would demonstrate how to properly lift weights in a way that would be safe and help me be strong. And I would take notes as I watched this personal trainer uh, go through all these demonstrations and teach me about exercise. And then I checked out some books on weightlifting and exercise and I read through the books and I highlighted them and I took notes and I listened to some podcasts on exercise. You know, I'd put on my my headphones and I'd listen to uh, exercise gurus talk about the best techniques in exercise and weightlifting. And I'd even go uh, to the gym every once in a while and I would take a selfie in front of the weight machines, you know, make it look like I was doing... Now, I never actually lifted any weights, but for some reason, inexplicably, I can't figure out why I haven't gotten any stronger. I mean, I, I... I, I took notes, I listened closely, I read the books, I can talk the talk, I just haven't put on any muscle, and I can't figure out why. You're giggling, because you know that when it comes to getting stronger, it's the doing that makes the difference. When it comes to getting stronger, it's the doing that makes the difference. So we're going to jump back into this New Testament letter of James, a letter from the half-brother of Jesus who came to believe that Jesus was his Lord and Savior, and he writes a letter to some Christians living in the first century explaining faith that works, and he talks about the same principle. So here's how he begins, James chapter 1, verse 21. He says this, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. And the evil that is so prevalent, get rid of, in the Greek, it actually means take off like a dirty shirt, right? Take off all the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent among you. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Humble acceptance, James tells us, is the first step. And I love how one commentator, Douglas Moo, explains this. He says this. He says, Christians who have truly been born again demonstrate that the Word has transformed them by their humble acceptance of that Word as their authority and guide for life. Humble acceptance is the first step. Just like if I wanted to get stronger, humbly accepting that there are people who know better than me, who can guide me, can teach me authoritative ways to get stronger, humbly accepting their guidance is the first step. But it's just the first step. It's not enough. James goes on. He says this. He says, but be, what's the next word? Doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. In other words, James is writing, James was apparently experiencing a problem that we still experience today, a problem that we call nominal Christianity. Nominal Christianity, people who are Christians by name only, Christians who maybe show up on Sundays, who read their Bible, but don't actually put into practice the teachings of Jesus. In our culture, especially revival culture, um, 
we have this culture where maybe a lot, maybe some of you experience this. You know, a big evangelist came to town. Maybe it was Billy Graham. He comes to town and he gives this great sermon. He says, now I want you to come down up front and I want you to accept Jesus into your heart, right? And maybe you walked down, to the, down the aisle, you came to the front, you kneeled at the, the altar and you accepted Jesus into your heart. And for some people, they think that's all it means to be a Christian. At one point in time in their life, they accepted Jesus and they think that that's all there is and they're going to go to heaven someday. But that's not what being a Christian is all about. And that's what James is talking about here. Even sitting in church, right, on a weekly basis, or, or, or reading our Bibles, or reading Christian books, or, or listening to sermons on podcasts, or even putting pictures on Instagram of our favorite Bible verses, even that, right, if it's not accompanied with doing the Word, James is going to tell us that it's worthless. Here's I love what he says. He says, when we, when we are hearers of the word only, he says, we deceive who? Ourselves. When I don't do what I've heard, what I've studied, what I've read, the only one that I trick is me. When I don't do the word that I've heard, the only one that I trick is me. Right? God knows God knows if we're just going through the motions, the religious motions, just showing up on Sunday and, you know, and all that. God knows. We can't, we can't pull one over on God, right? Other people know. Believe it or not, other people look at our lives as Christians, those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. Other people look at our lives, and they can tell for the most part. They, they know a good deal about Jesus, and they can tell if we're following him in our words and in our lives and in our actions. And as a matter of fact, when, when non-Christians are surveyed about Christians, one of the things that constantly comes up as a criticism is hypocrisy. We claim that we, we believe these things and we follow this teacher, but our lives often don't measure up. And other people see this and they know. And this is... Um, I love this. this. This next quote comes from Brennan Manning. Uh, he wrote several books. Um, here's what he says. He says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. This has been my experience as well as I've, as I've talked with people who are not Christians or who have walked away from the faith. One of the common things is, is Christian hypocrisy, Christians who claim to believe certain things, claim to represent certain values, but then don't live into those values. They don't put into practice what they preach and what they teach. And it really does. This really does lead to people not coming to the faith and to people leaving the faith. I, I've been in conversations with a lot of people recently about reasons they choose to leave, and it's because what espoused values, what we claim to value and worship, and, and what we do with our actions and what we, what we support publicly don't measure up. And this causes cognitive dissonance for folks. And, and because of that, people end up either abandoning the faith or discounting the faith because of our actions. And, and so because I am the best deceiver of me, right? I can trick myself better than anybody else can trick me. You are the best deceiver of you. You can trick yourself better than anybody else can trick you. We may need to ask 
other people how we're doing when it comes to doing the Word. I, as a matter of fact, when I was putting this in my notes this week as I was studying, I said, you know what? If I'm going to tell other people to do that, I should probably do that myself first. So I went to um, you know, social media, to some of my accounts, and I said, to non-Christian friends of mine, tell me how I'm doing living up to the teachings of Jesus as you understand them. And I, and I asked for honest feedback. Are there, are there areas in my life where I claim to, to value certain things that I'm not living up? And I wanted people to tell me that because I can be really good at tricking myself. I can be really good at talking myself out of things and, and, and justifying things. We're, we're good at that. So it may be worth asking other people in your life. If you have non-Christian friends or family members or people that you interact with, ask them. Say, do I reflect Jesus' teachings as you understand them? Because one of the things that I've noticed is that non-Christians, Jesus was actually fairly understandable to most people. Most people generally, most people generally like Jesus. Most of the criticisms I get about Christianity are not actually rooted in the teachings of Jesus themselves, but in the practices of those who claim to follow him. Uh, you've probably heard that, that quote, I'm going to paraphrase, but uh, Gandhi, uh, Mahatma Gandhi was talking to a missionary to India um, and he said, I love your Jesus. It's just your Christians don't look anything like your Jesus. This is a common thing. So we, we may need to ask other people, are there blind spots in my life? Are there areas where I'm not living up to the values that I claim to represent? And then, are we willing to humbly accept the feedback we receive? Um, now, we're going to go back to this verse. The word deceive could actually be translated a different way. Here's how it could be translated. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, cheating yourselves. I really like this. The, the word deceive could be translated as cheating. I put this in my notes. Here's what I said. When we don't put the word into practice, we cheat ourselves out of the blessings that only come through obedience. Right? When we just go through religious motions, but don't actually live out the values that, that we claim to value, we actually, we're cheating ourselves from the blessings that come from that obedience. Jesus tells us that we will be blessed if we will obey. That there will be blessings, tangible and spiritual and emotional and eternal blessings, if we do the word. But if we just go through the motions... Not only are we not tricking anybody else, but we're cheating ourselves out of blessings that could be ours if we would just obey. So blessings in our relationships, right? If you want blessings in your relationships, but you're not willing to mutually submit one to another, like Paul talks about, to put others first, you're going to be cheated out of those blessings. Blessings in our, in our, in our finances, unless, but if we're not willing to be generous, we can't expect the blessings. There's all sorts of blessings in life that, that, that we have been promised in the Scriptures, but if we're not willing to put into practice what we've been taught, we can't expect the blessings. Just like I can't expect to get any stronger if all I do is watch somebody else lift weights. If I want the blessings, I've got to put in the effort. I've got to do the work. <clears throat> Excuse me. James gives an illustration. Here's what he says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So I was thinking about this verse and I was like, I, 
I haven't really forgotten what I've looked like in a long time. But then I remembered that we have mirrors everywhere, right? I've got a big mirror in the bathroom and a big mirror in my bedroom, and, and I've got mirrors in my car, like four of them, right? And I've got, a, I've got a cell phone that acts like a mirror. I can take selfies, right, all these things. We've got mirrors everywhere. So it's harder for us to forget what we look like. But I, I did... Here's the fun thing about being a preacher is I got to do some research into ancient mirrors, right? Things that I never thought that I'd study, ancient mirrors. But it turns out mirrors have been around for a really, really long time. Mirrors have been around for They actually started out as polished stone. They would polish stone real shiny, and then, then it moved to polished metal, and then eventually it, glass, and then glass coated in lead, and you know, lots of stuff you probably don't care about, but I'm nerdy and I kind of like. But anyway... So mirrors have been around for a long time, but not like we have them today, right? You might, you'd probably have a mirror in your house if you lived in, you know, in this time period in, in history. Um, if you were a wealthy woman, somebody talked about how sometimes some wealthy women spent uh, as much on a fancy mirror as they would get for dowries. Um, so if you were a wealthy woman, you might have a portable mirror that you would carry with you. But for the most part, you're, you don't have mirrors everywhere, public bathrooms, all this. So, you know, you... It's much more common back then to look in a mirror maybe once a day and then forget what you look like. They, they didn't have, you know, selfies, right, so they could see what they look like all day long. If you wanted to see what you look like, you had to pay somebody to draw a picture or paint or something, right? Um, but even still, I, I think this, this illustration carries forward. How many of you glance in the mirror in the morning before you leave the house? Most of us, right? We check our hair, make sure things are, are at least, like, we don't have something hanging down, right? Something stuck in our teeth. We check the mirror probably before we leave the house. How many of you go throughout your day thinking about what you look like in the mirror that morning? How often do you think back to that action of looking in the mirror? I don't. I never think back. I was like, hmm, what did I look like this morning in the mirror? I never do that. You, you probably don't either. So... How often do we do that with the word that we hear? How often do we do that with Sunday sermons? How often do we talk about them over lunch or remember what it was the next day? Or do we just think that the very act of suffering through one of my sermons is sanctifying enough? <laughs> it happens to me too. There have, there have been times where I have forgotten what I have preached the week before, okay? So I'm not, I, I, I'm not criticizing anybody here because I do it too. You just you get going through the motions and, you know, and life gets busy, right? And, and, and even what I've studied and preached, I'm like, what, what did I teach on last Sunday? How often do we do that with the word that we hear? Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But, James says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. This is another word for the word. Uh, in the next chapter, we're going to learn about the royal law, which says we should love our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, whoever looks in, into the word and continues in it, 
right? Whoever looks into the word and continues in it, and then it's like, it's like James is really trying to emphasize his point here. He could have just said continues with it, moved on, but he's like, ah, I better make sure they get it. He says, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, right? He's like rubbing it in, continues in it, not forgetting it, doing it as many different ways as he can say it as possible to make sure that we get it. They will be what? Blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. In other words, what James is trying to communicate here is doing makes the difference. Doing makes the difference. Or maybe another way to say this, doing leads to blessing. Doing leads to blessing. The blessing is found through obedience. The blessing is found through obedience. It's what we do with what we've heard that makes a difference. Hearing is not enough. It's good. It's a good first step. We have to start by humbly accepting, right? We have to have that first step, but then we have to take it a step further. You got to go to the trainer, but then you got to lift weights. You've got to go to the doctor, but then you've got to cut back on calories, right? You've got to, whatever it is, learning about it is not enough. James now gets really specific in terms of doing. Here's what he says next. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their what? Tongues. Deceive who? themselves and their religion is worthless. This is a constant theme in James' letter. We've already talked about what we say, being slow to speak, right? We're going to, in a couple of chapters, James is going to dive in really deep. He's going to talk about the power of the tongue, so we're not going to go into it uh, super in-depth here, but I do want to give you a mind picture. James says, keep a tight rein on their tongues. How many of you have ever ridden a horse before or seen someone ride a horse? What do you put in a horse's mouth a bridle and reins, right, to, to control the horse. So I want you, this is, the, this is the image that James is giving. Do you have a bridle on your tongue? Imagine trying to control a wild stallion with some reins and a bridle. Do we put bridles on our tongue? Now this is, this is more than just avoiding cuss words, okay? That's not what James is talking about more than just avoiding those cuss words. This is talking, he's talking about things like gossip, lies, slander, falsities, right? What we speak, pro, the book of Proverbs is full of this. If you want to just look up the word tongue in the book of Proverbs and lips, what we speak has such power. And if we don't control that, James says our religion is what? Worthless. If we don't control what we say, what we speak, James says our religion is worthless. It's a word that means empty, futile, fruitless, good for nothing. In other words, we can sit and listen to sermons all week, but if we don't allow that to transform the way that we talk, it's worthless. James then moves on to give a positive example. Here's what he says. He says, religion... That God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to sit in church every Sunday and sing praises to his holy name and then live like hell the rest of the week. 
Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, what we do makes all the difference. These aren't, these aren't beliefs, guys. These are actions. That's why I, 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 I don't even like the term believers for Christians, right? Because it indicates that we're defined mostly by what goes on inside of here. But that's not true Christianity. I, I think we should, we should call ourselves not believers, but disciples or, or Jesus followers or doers, right? Because James says doing leads to blessing. It's doing that makes the difference. All of our singing, all of my preaching, all of our sitting through sermons and podcasts and reading books and all of the things that we, you know, post, if we're not doing what Jesus has commanded us to do, James says it's worthless. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. As we speak, there is a very large group of widows and orphans, mothers and children, people who are fleeing violence and poverty in their home countries, and they're making their way to our border, looking for help and asylum and safety and resources. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So as Jesus followers, what is our responsibility to a group of people fleeing violence and poverty, women and children, displaced men who have experienced all kinds of gang and drug-related violence and poverty in their country who are looking for... looking for shelter and refuge and help and and compassion. As Jesus followers, what is our responsibility? What's the kind of religion that God views as pure and faultless? Sometimes we're going to be faced with scenarios that that are going to challenge our allegiance. And we're going to have to decide, is our allegiance... To Jesus or our allegiance to a certain view of America more important. But if we gather here on Sunday mornings and we read the Scriptures and we sing praises to God's name and we turn our back to those in need, our religion, James says, is worthless. Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, we often, you know, in holiness traditions, we read that and we think of things like, you know, we don't smoke and we don't drink and we don't cuss and we don't play cards and all these other things that don't really make all that big a difference. When James, when James talks about being polluted by the world, he's talking about the world systems of thinking. We don't allow ourselves to be polluted by systems of racism, systems of nationalism, systems of, of power and us versus them isms. We don't allow ourselves to think that just because we had the privilege of being born in this country that we're somehow better or our lives are, are worth more than those who weren't. 
This is what it means to be polluted by the world. To be polluted by the world is to allow the world system's thinking, which is us versus them. It's, it's, it's the, the world's way of thinking is, you know, the, the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules, right? That's not, that's not Jesus' way of thinking. We're not polluted by the world when we pour ourselves out in self-sacrificial love for those who aren't even like us. That's what makes us different. When Jesus was gathered with his closest followers before he died, he said that there would be one characteristic that would mark out his disciples. By this one thing, he said, will all people know that you're my disciples if you, what? Love one another. If you love one another, we're we're defined by our love, by our compassion, by the mercy and grace and compassion that we extend to others. This is what it means to not be polluted by the world, not be polluted by greed, by selfishness, by nationalism. Christians are ones who look after those in need, no matter what they believe, no matter where they're from, no matter what they've done, no matter who their parents are, we look after those in need because we have somebody who saw us in our moment of deepest need while we were living in rebellion against God, while we were enemies of God, Paul says, and loved us anyway, and gave his son for us anyway, and extended grace and compassion forgiveness when we didn't earn it, when we didn't deserve it, a lot of times when we didn't even ask for it, and he did it for us anyway. This is the kind of love and compassion and care that we are called to extend to others. Now, here's where it gets tough, because just sitting in here and preaching about this, or sitting in here and nodding amen as I'm preaching, right, it's not enough. It's a good step. It's a good first start, but, but we have to put hands and feet to this stuff. And we do. I mean, as a church, we, we, we give, um, you know, out of all of our income, we give to organizations that do stuff like this, but we can always do more. But it starts in our heart and our attitudes, and then it flows into our actions. What are we going to do with what we've heard? What are we going to do with what we've heard? So I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do this week with what you've heard? How are you going to put the word into practice. And I'm going to ask you to to think about that and maybe write something down today after you leave this. Reflect on it a little bit more. Ask yourself, how am I going to put this into practice? Because the doing makes the difference. The doing makes the difference. How many of you want to be blessed by God? I do too. Blessing comes through obedience. I don't want to deceive myself anymore. I don't want you to deceive yourselves anymore. I don't don't want us to think that just because we're gathered here on Sunday that we're automatically good with God for the rest of the week because we we sat and we we preached a sermon or we listened to a sermon or we sang some songs. I want us to be people who go out and I want people to look at us and say, 
I know that they're followers of Jesus because look how much they love people. Look at their compassion for people who aren't even like them. I want people to to, to look at us and say, I don't know if I believe what you believe, but man, I appreciate how well you love. For that kind of people, we can change the world. It happened once before. A small group of ragtag people in the middle of, you know, the armpit of the Roman Empire, because they were committed to self-sacrificial love, in the course of a couple hundred years, they overtook the empire without swinging a sword, because they were just willing to do what Jesus had taught, to love one another, to pour themselves out in compassion, not only for the people who believe like them, but even the people who didn't. The single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge him with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. But we don't have to live into that narrative. We can make the difference by doing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this message. Studying it has been challenging for me. I have been convicted in in my life about some, some areas that I need to do a little more doing and a little, well, still more hearing, but more doing. So, Lord, I pray that you would help give me the strength and conviction to do what needs to be done. I pray that us as, as a congregation, that if, if, there are, if there are people who are in the room or listening to this online who are feeling convicted about doing, that you would give them the strength and the conviction to do something with what they've heard. Lord, may we be different. May we change the story. May we flip the script. May we be known as people who don't just talk about what we value but who demonstrate it by the way that we live. Father, help us to experience your blessing as we do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.